0: Maybe God put Gray into the world so that we would actually learn how to love each other.
1: Mm. Welcome to The Brave Place, where we journey into the lives of brave men and women who have beat the odds or who are in the trenches right now, difference makers who have truly discovered the warrior that lives within and are living it out. This is the place that will inspire, encourage, enlighten, and challenge that brave person that lives deep down within all of us. Welcome back to The Brave Place. I'm your host, Christy Rodriguez. And joining me today is one of the best storytellers, whether it's songwriting uh, or authoring a book, uh, you may know Mike Donahue, my guest today, as the lead singer, songwriter, and guitarist for the award-winning Christian band, 10th Avenue North. Today, he's a solo artist making his way with powerful songs from the latest album, Flourish. Um, one of my favorite songs, by the way, is All Together, which the lyrics are Let's go. on point. So author of two books, Finding God's Life for My Will. I've got it right here. Love your writing. Thank you. And then, yeah. And then your second book, Grace in the Gray, which will be released in January. Welcome to The Brave Place.
0: Thank, I feel very welcome. Okay. Well, good. First
1: of all, in your book, just a quick sum, because I, I know we're trying to cover a lot today.
0: Well, first of all... Uh, yeah, I've had this conversation with people, as I've told them the title of the book, Grace in the Gray, A More Loving Way to Disagree, is the subtitle. And some people will shoot back, there are no gray spaces. Mm. Everything is black and white. I, really? Like,
1: it's either truth or it's not.
0: Yeah. Is 4 a.m. too late or too early? You know, when when is it dusk and when is it night? Mm-hmm. You know, when is it the latest hour of afternoon and when is it evening? Mm-hmm. You know, When is it, when you look out at the horizon, a foggy sea, like where is it sea and where is it the sky? It's, to me, I feel like God has built in gray into the universe. And it, it sure seems true when we're still discussing certain ideas after thousands of years mm-hmm. and we're all agreeing this scripture is our source of truth. And still, it's like, well, does God sovereignly ordain people to salvation, or do we have freedom of choice to receive it? And that debate is still happening. Right. And I go, maybe God put gray into the world so that we would actually learn how to love each other. mm so, so, he, cause, so here's my big premise of the book, right? Is a lot of us see disagreement in our relationships as a sign of unhealth. Like, oh, something's wrong with my relationships because we're disagreeing. That's actually a sign that you're in a relationship to begin with. If all the people in your life agree with you on everything 100%, you're not in a relationship with anyone. You're just in a relationship with yourself. Uh-huh. And you've created a culture where no one's allowed to disagree. Agree with you. But the reason I know I'm in a relationship with God and not just myself is when God disagrees with me. If When you pray to God, he's always on your side and always agreeing with you 100% of the time. (laughs) You aren't talking to God.
1: (laughs) That's such a good point. Yeah. Yeah. I will say this. We have at our uh, radio station, we have a chaplain, Chaplain Justin, and we had this conversation about conflict. And he was saying that conflict is, is truly, if you look at the research, is the number one builder of intimacy.
0: Yeah, of and
1: course. Like in, in long-lasting marriages, mm-hmm. any kind of relationship, and it also translates over into your, your spiritual relationship, exactly what you're saying. So, I mean, when you have conflict, it challenges you, it sharpens you, um, and if you hang on to that relationship, then it bonds you more than anything else. Mm-hmm. And I just love that because conflict with God really, to me, ignites or initiates a sharpening in a relationship with God. It's a pursuit. It's like, okay, God. And the more you pursue him, the more you become
0: closer to him. So so if we go into the world and life and church and friendships and online and we go, oh, disagreement is going to be part of it. It just changes your posture entering in. Everything isn't a drag out winner, loser fight. You know, you go, oh, there's going to be times where we don't see eye to eye. And that's okay. Well, that's okay. And that means I need to not just consider my position. Hmm. I also need to consider my posture. Mm. And here's where, unfortunately, I think a lot of Christians get it wrong. You ask most Christians, you say, what's more important, what you say or how you say it? And they'll say what you say. Because mm. truth truth matters because you know what love without truth isn't love that's exactly right Mm -hmm. but i think also truth without love isn't truth
1: well and and the word says truth without love is like clinging symbols like if if you if you deliver something without love then it's just like a loud noise to anybody listening
0: yeah and so the book is really a call to say what if i'm not saying your posture is more important than your position But I'm also contending that our posture is as equally important as our position. Mm -hmm. Um, It it is of utmost importance to the Lord Mm -hmm. of not not just what we say, but how we say it.
1: Well, I, I appreciate the fact that you are spearheading that effort, writing a book about that, especially in the climate of today's culture. Yeah. It's greatly needed. Lots of hot topics.
0: It started online. I stopped trying to win every argument with people who were just searingly angry at me. And I, I just tried to really understand them. Are you saying this? Clarifying questions, curiosity, you know. And what I found was other people started going, man, I was reading through your comments and this person was just so incendiary lighting you up. And the way you responded blew my mind. So I'm... I'm not even, I don't even agree with your position on this, but I was challenged by the way you were disagreeing. And that was really sort of the impetus of mm-hmm. writing the book. Mm-hmm. I went, oh, maybe there's a whole book here. Cause I think yeah. we could all use a little help of how yeah. we communicate.
1: There's definitely a need. Let's move back. I'm going to go back in time a little bit to 2019, your first book. Yeah, finding God's life for my will. I love the the twist on words there. Yeah. So so often you hear someone say, "I just want to find God's will for my life," and you're saying, "Finding God's life for my will." And this is what I mean by you're really great with your words, like in your songwriting, your writing, and just speaking. One thing that you said is, you said, um, "This is my story." How I. Gave up begging to know God's will and began to ask his life to come and change my will. So what brought you to that place and even so far as to write a book?
0: Yeah, it's, it started with kids coming up to me and going, when did you know? I said, what do you mean? When did you know that this was God's will for your life? I said, what? They said, playing music. I said, oh, I don't. And they, you know, Their face goes crestfallen. <laughs> what do you mean? You don't know. Mm-hmm. If you don't know, how could anyone know? Mm-hmm. I said, I don't know. That's not the way God's talked to me. His will for my life, I mean, that's that's in Scripture, and it has nothing to do with my occupation. This is God's will for your life. Be joyful always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. Uh, what does the Lord require of you? Act justly. Love mercy. Walk humbly, says Micah. I go, it's postures of your heart. Your heart—that's God's will for your life. What you're asking is, "What is God's plan for my life, and how do I get an answer?" And I said, "Here's the problem with asking that question: is usually my plans need to change anyway, and God isn't so much interested in giving me a ten-year plan as much as He's interested in <laughs> disrupting my ten-year plan, right? You know that yeah. old joke. You know, mm-hmm. you don't want to make God laugh. Just tell Him your plans. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In in scripture, it says, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Do you know the Hebrew word there is actually your, your word is a lamp unto my foot? It, it's actually connected to this, this lantern that, that the Jewish people would carry. It was made for one person, and it would just shed literally the smallest little circle of light where you actually couldn't even see both your feet when you were walking, but just the just, next one. Just one. And so I got thinking about that, and I go... We all wish that God would print out all the directions to our life and hand them to us. Like, here are the MapQuest directions. Just follow all these 15 turns. But instead, it seems to me that God wants to be the annoying friend sitting in the passenger seat who's telling you the next turn when it's almost too late. Turn right now. <laughs> and that's what the book of Isaiah says. It's what I start in the introduction of the book with. It says, you will hear a voice right behind you whether to the left or to the right, saying, this is the way, walk in it. So why does God do that? Why is he whispering these directions, and why does he wait so late? Well, what's the whole purpose of this? It's that I would grow in intimacy with God. Isn't that the point? If that's not the point, then heaven's going to be super boring for you. (laughs) You're going to be looking for something else to do, right? The whole point Mm -hmm. is, is to walk in nearness and intimacy and fullness with God. So it should come as no surprise that God wants to whisper directions to me one step at a time. And we don't want that. Because we want God to give us what we want instead of be what we want, right? And so that's like, I don't want your will for my life. I know what that is. Mm -hmm. I want your life for my will. I want you to come invade all my plans and blow them up. One of the the worst things in scripture, I think, is when it says, without faith, it's impossible to please God. That's Hebrews. I hate that verse. (laughs) Do you know why? Why? Because what it's saying is, hey, to have faith, what do you need to have? Uncertainty. If you don't have uncertainty, you can't have faith. Oh, that's true. Because then you know what's going to happen. So in order to please God, I have to have faith, which means in order to please God, I have to have uncertainty. Which is sheer dependence, right? I don't want that. Yeah. I want to feel independent and powerful. And yet Paul understood this mystery to the point where he would say, I glory in my weakness. He had come to value dependency on God so much that he would actually say, I even relish the weakness and dependency that mm-hmm. I have on it. It's amazing.
1: I love that take on it. And it also makes me think too, like, let's say God did give us a plan. Like, well, let's say he did lay it out. I know me. I would say, awesome. I've got the plan. And I'd say, okay, God move out of the way now I've got my plan mm-hmm. and I would just start pursuing the plan. The plan mm-hmm. would become the idol mm-hmm. over God. Um, uh, yeah. And that goes along. One, one of the things you did say, you said, learn to see God as the plan, not simply the formula yeah. to the plan. His, per,
0: His presence is the plan.
1: Mm-hmm. Let's sh- shift over. I, I feel like you're like this walking treasure chest of wisdom. And I, I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think part of that might be because you are so intimate with the Lord um, sometimes I mean, well, sometimes you're not perfect. And I love that. See, that's wisdom. <laughs> the fact that you even say that. And so many believers, I think we struggle. And, and I believe everybody does with this in, in marriage. And one of the conversations I've heard you in is you were talking about you and your wife mm-hmm. and just how it's easy to fall in love. Like love finds you. Yeah. And, and then you started venturing into the feelings aspect of it, potentially being attracted to other women. And you, you two even had a conversation and you even mentioned on stage one time where you were talking about like being a, attracted to other women. You were like, everybody was like, it was going great. And then what? And, and so let's talk about that for a minute. And I know right now our listeners who are listening are like, wait, where is she going with this? What is this? So let's um, break that down if you don't mind.
0: Yeah, I wrote a song called Work of Art, which the idea is to fall in love is easy. It's all colors and sparks. But to stay in love is the work of art or the work of hours. I say that all the time. You don't choose who you fall for, but you choose whether or not you're going to stay with them. And some people are like, oh, that sounds horrible. That's so archaic. I I, if I'm not in love with that person, if I fall out of love with someone, then I don't want to stay with them. And I totally understand that. Uh, there's plenty of research, though, that would tell us that if you do stay, but those feelings do have a way of coming back around. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing is, nobody cheers for a couple who's been married for 50 years because it was just so easy. And love chooses you. Mm-hmm. And they're just so in love. It's like, no, the reason we cheer is because we know Mm -hmm. deep down. Um, And one of the things that I saw happening was some of my friends kept saying, oh, we fell out of love. I fell for this other person. I have to be true to what I feel. And so my guitarist and I, in 10th Ave, we wrote the song called Covenant that was sort of based on this Madeline Engel poem that I had read. And I can't for the life of me find it. But well, she basically is writing about being at this writer conference. Madeleine Engel wrote Wrinkle in Time. Okay, okay. She's a famous author. Yeah. And she wrote this powerful little poem to her husband about being at this writer's conference and feeling this spark. I don't think she used the word spark, flutter, something. Regardless, she's feeling this spark for this mm-hmm. other guy. And he walks her up to her room. And there's a moment where she feels like something could happen here. But then he walks away and she goes into her room and nothing happens. there's feelings. And she writes this poem to her husband, which sounds like a very strange thing to write your spouse. And she says, isn't it amazing that I had these feelings for this other day? And most of us cringe.
1: Yeah, the husband would be like, are you kidding me right now? That's horrible.
0: (laughs) Yes. She goes, no, that's wonderful news. You know why? Because it doesn't diminish what we have. It actually makes what we have even stronger. That I would because feel she... those things and I still choose you. And we don't want to believe that, but deep down, that's the question we need answered. And it frees you up to like appreciate other people and to be smart. Of mm-hmm. go, of course I'm gonna feel things for other people. Other mm-hmm. people are amazing mm-hmm. and I'm sinful mm-hmm. and I have so many impure motivations. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people I know who end up having affairs are people who just are being stupid about it. I'm never going to feel anything for anybody else. And so when those feelings sneak up on them, they go, oh, I have to act on this. And, uh, and when you kind of just go into it going, of course I'm going to feel things for other people. It, it, it doesn't diminish your covenant. It makes it stronger. It's just funny to me. Some people just don't think that that's possible. And that's why they'd be so terrified to admit it. It's alarming to mm-hmm. feel those things mm-hmm. or to be told that your spouse is feeling those things. Unless you go, wait a second, didn't we make a vow to stay married? Why did we do that? It's because we knew that feelings come and go. And no matter what, I'm choosing you. Why, why yeah. else do you make the promise to begin with? The, the promise is superfluous. Mm-hmm. If you're just gonna always feel everything for your spouse 100% of the time, then why is anyone getting up in front of a crowd making this extravagant promise? Deep down, you know, just admit it. You said to legitimize an emotion goes way
1: further than trying to illegitimize it. Um, which is what you guys so are doing. we have
0: this saying in the church right this this oh man, this one gets me every time. Faith over feelings. as if faith's job is to beat your feelings into submission.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think that's how a lot of people think because say the heart is deceitful, above all things, who can know it? Yes, says Jeremiah, but then Ezekiel has this image of having a new heart put in you, mm-hmm. right? Romans 6 through 8 kind of gives us this picture that there's two things at work here. Mm -hmm. You know, that there is a a will and a desire to please God and this flesh that wants to rebel, right? So it, it isn't true to say, if you know Jesus, to say all your feelings are wrong. You also have to step back and go, wait, aren't emotions how God made us? Didn't he make us to have emotion? So would you say emotions are gifts? And so when you start going, okay, even things like sadness and anger begin as a gift because they're the way God has made us to tell us something. And if instead of trying to conquer those feelings or beat them in submission, you actually let them onto your, like think of this imagery. A lot of us think of like sadness or hurt, or woundedness, or shame, or anger, these are bad emotions. And if they come on my property, I'm going to shoot them with a rifle. I'm going to shoot them with a Bible mm-hmm. verse, kill them. <laughs>
1: <sighs> mm-hmm.
0: And I'm not saying you open the door and you let feelings just Just rule your life, right. So faith over feelings is not correct, but so is feelings over faith is not correct. Even yeah. But if you could, and I heard a guy named Jay Stringer kind of expounding on this sort of idea, he said, if you could welcome your feelings to the front porch and open the door and go, hey, hi, (laughs) there you are. Why are you here? What are you trying to tell me? So I'll give you an example. And and this is a lot of work. Emotional intelligence. There's lots of different psychologists who've talked about this at great length, about Mm -hmm. emotional intelligence and what our emotions are trying to tell us. But Chip Dodd, in a book called Voice of the Heart, is one of the guys that I've read, and he gives an example like, so sadness begins as a gift, and then you can either make a, a move toward unhealth from your sadness, or you can listen to your sadness and make a move toward health. Um, or like, let's say loneliness, for instance. So I'm lonely, so I can now start going, oh, it's because nobody likes you, that's why you're lonely, and it's because you're not worth hanging out with, or... You could say, oh, I'm lonely. That's what I'm feeling. You know why I'm lonely? It's because I'm made in the image of a relationship, God, who's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the reason I'm lonely is because I'm made in the image of God. You know what I need? I need community, which is the thing God has made me for. So now I'm going to call and ask a friend to come over and be with me. My loneliness is telling me what I need, right? So... Our emotions are gifts that we can either try to beat into submission or get curious with. And uh, this is not as bumper sticker worthy, but I think instead of saying faith over feelings, maybe try feelings informed by faith and your faith informed by your feelings. Because if you don't stop to listen to what you're feeling, then you actually don't know what promise you need to hear, right? That's wisdom. Like for instance... Someone comes mourning the death of someone. So if you don't see sadness as a gift, you're going to prescribe the wrong faith. Okay? Kind of riffing here a little bit. But think about this. Someone's died. Well, God works all things together for yeah. good. They're with Jesus now. They're with Jesus now. What <laughs> are you crying about? Or I go, you're crying. Here's a verse. Jesus wept. The Why? Empathy. Why? Yeah. Because Lazarus had died. Oh, So you're feeling exactly what Jesus felt. Why would Jesus cry when Lazarus died? Well, rewind the tape. Lord, the one you love is sick. Maybe the reason you're sad is because they really meant something to you. And your sadness is letting you know how much they mattered. Like, right? Yeah. So it's just really important that we we really see emotions as a gift and not Mm -hmm. as enemies trying to destroy us. Mm Mm-hmm.
1: And I think it goes back to where we even started this podcast, just talking about just from grace in the gray, like what that's truly about is connection. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what you're doing. You are taking the gospel and using it how it's intended is to connect mm. to others and reflect the life of Jesus. And I just appreciate that so much. So let's move to the last thing I want to talk to you about. It's your song altogether, which speaks to my heart uh, in multiple layers. And we mm-hmm. don't have time to unpack it all but I just want to read the lyrics for our listeners says I'm done pretending that I'm all right. I fake a laugh, keep acting upper class like I've never had a struggle in my whole life. Can I tell you the state I'm in cracks are where the light gets in. Maybe we don't have it all together. What if grace made it safe to tell you the truth? Maybe we can make a shelter for each other, turning lies into light. And we'll make it through all together, all together. Love keeps our broken pieces all together. And so much of the way you communicate is in love. And mm. And I love how you talk about the safety there and then having the cracks. So let the light in, being able to be broken and, and honest. And, and, and one other line that you say in here is, I want a church that looks like 12 steps. Okay. And so just can you unpack that a little bit as we close out
0: today? Mm-hmm. You know, when Jesus fed the 5,000, I've heard many sermons that I think gets the whole point of this wrong. Okay. Because when Jesus starts to feed the 5,000, it begins, I've heard it said, Jesus makes a miracle because this little boy comes and gives all that he has. He goes 110%, and that's why Jesus is able to do a miracle. Well, the story starts with Jesus looking out in the crowd and says, and he was Moved with compassion. So the miracle begins not by the little boy's food, but with the compassion of Jesus. Uh-huh. Then he looks around and says, You guys got any food? Like, For 5,000 people? No. And this little boy goes, I got five loaves, two fish. <laughs> they actually said they found this boy who had five loaves, two fish. The point isn't that the boy gave all he had, the point is that what the boy offered wasn't enough. That's the point. The point is that Jesus is able to work miracles through you because you're not enough. And the point is, we get so didactic about this and we think, I need to be this perfect person for God to use. And I think it's exactly the opposite, that I bring both my failures and my gifting. I bring both the darkness and the light. I bring the best of me and the worst of me. We're told we have this treasure in what? Jars of clay. Mm -hmm. To show what? That this power is not from us, Mm -hmm. but from him. There's a great analogy. I actually put it in Finding God's Life for Our Will. The Japanese art form of kintsugi, right? And that's where casual everyday pot is broken. And then it's melded back together with silver or gold. And so... The broken vase that's been put back together is worth more than the vase that's never been broken, right? Well, it's just been my experience over and over and over. What anyone in an AA group will tell you, the journey, the path to healing is owning up to how broken you are, not by trying to cover it up, mm-hmm. not by trying to act like you're mm-hmm. not. And it's so fascinating that Paul says in Corinthians, he says, the places where we're ministered to by the Holy Spirit and we receive his comfort, those are the very places that we're going to be able to go comfort others. And any addict will tell you this, Any you know, anyone who's been any, through any kind of dark season, it's in the very place that you experience the depth of your weakness and powerlessness it is the place that you're transformed to com- comfort others in that place. Mm-hmm. Never has this played out for me like I was on tour with Big Daddy Weave just this past spring, and this one girl raised her hand. She oh, I want to get this right. She had gone to prison for fentanyl and had just gotten out a year ago. And she she just relapsed like the, the night before. And she's in the VIP of the concert and just a few moments earlier another lady shared that she is she needed prayer for ongoing addiction to fentanyl we basically had them pray for each other and it was far more powerful than if someone who's never experienced that is praying over them all that to say i i long for a place where we are both in awe of god's transforming power to redeem people from their struggles mm-hmm. And we are also simultaneously in awe of the power of his grace that is redeeming people through their struggles. And I think most of the wounding we do in the church is simply our inability to be as patient with our own struggles and other struggles. We're totally cool. And the the song altogether came from this thought. I said to my buddy we were co-writing, I said, why is it that we are always ready to hear a testimony from someone who's been delivered from something, but we don't want to hear a testimony of someone walking through something. We want to
1: hear the happy ending and, and not the journey in, no, or the I, process either. I, I mean.
0: think we're terrified that God doesn't just fix us. And when I look at the life of Jesus, and I've learned this from being a husband, most of the time my wife doesn't want a solution when she starts telling me what she's going through, she wants comfort. And when I look at the life of Jesus, isn't it interesting that he walked the earth for 30 years before he did any ministry? Which means even Jesus felt it before he fixed it. And I think we would do better with one another if we realized that sometimes we're called to feel it and suffer and weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. And it's okay if it's taking longer than we think it should.
1: Hmm. That's so good. Five words. Okay. You meet someone for the first time. They don't know Jesus. What would be your five words to them? Or one sentence. They don't know Jesus. They walk in the room, but they know of this guy named Jesus and they run into
0: you. I think I would just ask the same two questions that God asks Adam and Eve. Where are you? And who told you that? That's seven words.
1: (laughs) Okay, that'll work.
0: Isn't that fascinating? Mm -hmm. God doesn't come in going, what's wrong with you? I can't believe that you Mm -hmm. did the thing I told you not to do. He said, hey, where are you? Who told you that? So curiosity, curiosity and kindness. Is there another way to change someone? I don't think so. Isn't it fascinating? And I, I just wrote this new song. The last line, of course, is the kindness of your heart, it heals us. And I always think it's so fascinating. Romans 2-4 says, Do not know that the kindness of, Lord, of the Lord is meant to lead you to repentance. Mm-hmm. So don't forget, God's kindness is what he uses to change you. So quit trying to hate yourself into change. Mm-hmm. It. It's so good. If, if I, God uses kindness, why mm-hmm. do I think I should use a different method? Mm-hmm.
1: Man, what a great conversation. Thanks for having me. Mike, yeah, it's it's been a gift for our listeners. If they want to find you, your music, what's the best place to go?
0: Yeah, I mean, com. Okay. They got it all set up on the interwebs nowadays. <laughs> Wherever you're listening to music, there's probably mm-hmm. a little search button and you can find me.
1: Awesome. It's been great to meet you. I'm looking forward to the concert tonight. I've got my big man here, my son, Mac, and we're going to go watch you guys play tonight and... We're going to really enjoy the show, aren't we, bud? Yeah. Okay. Let's go. Thanks again for tuning in to The Brave Place. Uh, We appreciate you taking the time. If you have any ideas that you want to share with us or any thoughts on today's message, you can email me, christy at klrc.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-Y at klrc.com. And until next time, have a brave day. Let's go. Thanks for listening
0: to The Brave
1: Place, part of the KLRC
0: Podcast Network.